si escuchas Crazy Out, es muy loco, ¿ok? Gente. Welcome everyone, you're listening to KUCR here on 88.3 FM, also streaming online at KUCR.org. This is Daniel with the D-Report. Today we'll get an opportunity to share a conversation with Denise Spencer. A conversation will address the national uprising movements, focusing on police accountability. Communities all over the United States are coming together to demonstrate their objection over the killing of George Floyd. By Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Denise, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Um, my name is Denise Spencer. I am a baby boomer. I am a military dependent, which means uh, my early life was traveling around the country and in Europe, being brought up on military basis. I currently have maybe 40 years of experience in business all over the country, working for Capitol Records, Levi Strauss and Company, and a wonderful photographic company, Polaroid, which allowed me again to travel the country. Currently, I finished a master's in business at the University of Redlands, and I'm currently employed there as a department coordinator, supporting academic programs at, in the College of Arts and Sciences. Well, Denise, I'm hoping that today we could share just our thoughts regarding what has been happening as we adjust with multiple pressures. One of the things that I think makes this difficult, this moment, is to consider just how much is going on in our respective lives on top of the political uprisings that we're witnessing. I reached out to you because I've known you for going on 10 years now, and you're someone that I, I respect highly and We've had an opportunity in that time to really share some really uh, candid conversations. And during this time, as things started to unravel for me, keeping track of what's going on with COVID-19 and then with the killing of George Floyd by a police officer, and then the response, the community response to his killing added this, this this sense of, I don't know, trying to process what's going on. And I thought of you as someone that I wanted to get an opportunity to talk with. And I reached out to you for that very reason, hoping that we could talk. But also, um, I felt that your insights were something that would be appreciated to share. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to Give us your thoughts on what's going on right now. And I'll begin by that. Denise, how are you feeling? And what are your thoughts? What's your sense of response to the moment that we are experiencing? Well, I really 
think it's interesting um, with the um, appearance and invasion of COVID-19 into our lives was has been so terrifying. But what I'm finding now is it's really been the catalyst for what may be change in this country and many others. Um, we've all been isolated, quarantined, and forced really <clears throat> to pay attention to technology and what it's unveiled. The problems, issues, sores of humanity and the murder of George Floyd has really, really brought to the front all of our our issues, our ails, our problems, our sores. And what's really happening in response to what we've seen is an attempt to heal, an attempt to not go back to what was normal, but to find a way to constructively create a new normal that is inclusive, that acknowledges everyone on this planet. And while it is painful and shocking and frightening, I'm praying and I'm hopeful that in the end, humanity will be better off. The new normal that will arise from this revolution, which is what it is really, will be one that will be inclusive, that will be equal, that will give everybody a chance to pursue uh, a life that is fulfilling and happiness of their own making. So it's twofold. It's very a very painful time, but it's also a very hopeful time. Uh, I'm just watching and reading and trying to make sense of it all. I'm I'm really, really encouraged by the bravery and the tenacity of this upcoming youthful generation. They are brilliant and uh, committed and articulate. And in that respect, I think we're in good shape. <laughs> it, it makes me hopeful to hear them speak and to hear them protest and to Hilda to see that they will not be deterred. Um, I am hopeful. I'm old now. And, you know, I've already been through enough. And I just initially thought this is the end. But now hearing them speak from all over the country really young people in particular, uh, black, uh, Americans, uh, Germans, uh, from all over the world. You see that we, we have a reason to be hopeful that justice 
and equality and freedom will prevail. And I really believe that with in my lifetime, I'm just going to see a dramatic change. So my mother is in her 80s, approaching 90. And every day, all day, we are looking at the reports and reading newspaper accounts of this this change that's taking place of which the murder of George Floyd was the the final catalyst. Um, all those young people whose lives were cut short will give us life and give us freedom. And the irony is just uh, heartbreaking, but it just makes me hopeful about the future. It really does. And I've put to bed, I think, in a sense, the wrongs that I've experienced in my life because of the color of my skin. And I feel like I can see a day where the little children that I see around me won't know this this kind of oppression. I'm just hopeful. Thank you for starting the conversation in that tone of reflecting on this larger uh, historic pattern of oppression. One of the things that that does for me is that it creates a weight that sometimes I can't get out of so that it, it feels that it's just not going to change because we take an inventory of every other week someone losing their life due yes. to police oppression but it's police yes. tactics that were by design intended to hurt there's a conversation around the response of the police that some people want to bring forward which is was was that excessive was that proper and I think there is space for that, but that's not the one that I think many of us are having. What we're having is that even when the police are properly trained, their protocol throughout history, from the inception of the police as an institution, from the inception of the nation state that grants police the authority to do their work, they have historically been used as tools to keep people of color to create the category of people of color via violence so that yeah uh, i'm trying to distance myself from from sounding like someone that wanted to talk about like well was that police abuse was that improper technique and i'm thinking to myself uh that i've had those talks so many times that i feel uh it's a trap what i wanted to see if we could have is this thing that you already brought forward, which is a very encouraging narrative of optimism, of inspiration, of knowing that something here, just as something in the past, you know, um, sparks change. We see ourselves 
moving every generation toward a better society. And yes. all of us have been told, just give it time. Just give it time. Uh, you're, you're living in a better time than your parents were. And that may be true. But unfortunately, at least for me, I have urgency. It's not coming fast enough. And, and someone who tells me, be patient, I can be respectful to that. I think patience is not what has led us to this point. We stand on, on the benefit of generations before us that were impatient. They fought yes. tooth and nail, gave their life. And I, I really am in this place of frustration, confusion, heartbreak, just struggling to make sense of how we internalize this violence. Because one of the things that we've talked a lot about has been with how these moments are not insulated. In fact, they ripple throughout our communities. There was a time that they would injure us and they would display the injury for others to see. And they understood that that technique of display was a technology of intimidation to keep us in fear. As we get new tools of displaying, we now have video cameras that are showing this violence. I feel that that same effect of intimidation or injury continues and I'm struggling to own it because I feel my body get tense and injured at these displays. I was one of those people that have not seen the video of George Floyd, not out of disrespect for his life, I, I just can't do it anymore. Uh, this display of someone losing their life is something that injures my heart, my soul. And yet I stand as one of those many that are in objection to the continual abuse of the police. So I am encouraged by your voice that says you stand in optimism. Yes, I think we all must. If you think about the civil rights movement and you just have a picture of of who was marching, I'd say 90% were African American. That was a revolution. We look today and who's on the streets of every major city of this country? It is everybody. Who was chanting Black Lives Matter? It is everybody, everybody, white, black, biracial, Asian, everybody, Latina, everybody in equal numbers. So this is what is different. This murder of this man has cut through the hearts and souls of humanity. We all know that the police and law enforcement functions as a way to oppress. We already know this. You can color it. You can have them uh, pose, take pictures with, with young kids of color. You can have them smiling and kneeling. It doesn't change what the purpose is. But I see that all over the country, they are talking about reform. They are already beginning to make changes. 
They are charging people with murder who wear the blue uniform. I don't think this is to appease. I think this is the beginning of change. And it's small. I don't know how impactful it will be next week, next month, next year. But if we want to continue, if we want to follow these young people, this diverse, inclusive group of young people, to November, we not need to get out and vote. We need to have a president that will lead and support our concerns, our needs, our cry for freedom and equity, then that is the chance and that is the hope that I see and that's what I hold on to. And I think we've never been at a place where we've been closer to seeing that happen. But first, we do need leadership, which we do not have. How can change come today when we have leadership that has surrounded itself with a wall. That's a statement. Change will not come today or tomorrow. We've got to set our sights on November. And if change comes in November, everything that these young people, the sea of humanity calling for change, we will see it. But no, it won't be today. It won't be tomorrow. But we have a chance to see change begin in November. So first thing, you've got to start planning. You know, we've got to start making sure everybody registers to vote. We've got to make sure that this administration does not impact the post office because we'll need them for mail-in ballots. We've got to minimize interference from foreign lands. We've got to keep our eye on that. And if we are successful, the change that for generations we've been protesting for, I believe we will begin to see. But even then it will be slow. But I do believe that before the last chapter in my life, I will see change that will impact our lives. A taste of freedom is what I long for. And I'm hopeful that I'll be alive when that day comes. And we've got to, it's not a fairy tale we believe that there's going to be a happy ending. These kids are out there endangering their lives. You know, we still have a virus to contend with. It is more, they're fighting against more than, you know, a police state. They're fighting against a virus that is unseen that can also kill. Symbolic of an administration whose agenda is unseen that will also kill. So when I look at the masses, I am hopeful. I owe them that to be hopeful. I have to support them by not being impatient. 
I need to support them by having faith that what they're doing for all of us, we will see the results of. It's a revolution that we are seeing, that we're a part of, and that we can actively participate in come November. So it's all of us together, marching to the polls, marching to ensure that we get that change. Our eyes are all open now, everybody's. We've been held captive by COVID. We know what's happening. We're all educated now. We all can see right versus wrong. So, yeah, I'm hopeful. Only because I see that change will come. I can see it on the horizon like I've never been able to see it before. And we've all, oh, all those people out there marching all over the world, we owe them. They're doing it for all of us. Don't be impatient. They're doing the work now. We can see it. And come November, we pray, I pray, that I see the result of it. I believe there's this moment of reflection for all of us in our respective homes that is a little bit different from previous examples because when we think about when we think about the issue here, which is about holding police accountable for their actions, uh, we have a reference term that we call police abuse, police brutality, and it doesn't really speak to the holistic or the wider sense of what is happening or what has happened. And one of the things that I think the United States, in particular, uh, has had a difficult time addressing is taking ownership of the reality of its existence so that we have these beautiful stories that we tell about ourselves that are very beautiful, but they're incomplete. So when we talk about liberty, freedom, equality, they sound beautiful and they are aspirational. But the reality of the history is that the United States was built on legally supported inequality. And what we see as the police has been one of those mechanisms that has maintained that inequality via racial discourse or gender discourse or class discourse. And when we see this moment happening, uh, I remember talking to my dad about this and we were both really hurt because we felt the humanity, you referenced this, the sea of humanity and it's difficult to deny that. That's one of the most basic things we can recognize when we see a child that we don't know and that child smiles at us. There's something inside that it's almost impossible not to feel beautiful and smile back. So when we see someone being hurt, we feel that pain and yet what I am trying to get to in this conversation or express here is this sense that something that you referenced that even though we're responding viscerally, we are also compelled to to look at the larger institutions that outline our lives, such as voting, 
such as the laws that we choose to enact or not enact, the institutions that we support, so that we've been talking about, at least for me, um, one of the things that I, I grew up with was a narrative of the police as good, but also a narrative of the police as bad. And they were good because they were supposedly here to help us, but they were also bad because they would hurt us. And when I say we, I grew up in a black and brown neighborhood. And when I say they would hurt us, they were like the boogeyman, Denise. We knew that uh, when that police car made a U-turn, your stomach sunk because you did not know how far they would go. And we knew that there was very little we could do. At that time, uh, we were uh, surrounded by activists. We were surrounded by activists that had a long history um, in South Central, black and brown activists that had pushed, you know, to get police accountability and reform. Some of them advocating for dismantling the actual institution to getting them out of our neighborhoods because they were not a force of assistance. They were a force of violence. And we also wanted them there because we did need help too. But at the same time, we found ourselves stuck. And when you think about this moment in time and the generation that is out there, it is a generation of multiple groups. So we see people that are saying, this is the first time I've become aware of this issue. We see people that say like, I have been aware of this issue my whole life yet we're together. And I wonder if that's something that, no, I, I was gonna say it's something that is new, but I don't believe that is new because I remember being 13, the first time I was invited to a rally uh, because they had killed someone in my neighborhood because the police had killed someone in my neighborhood and we're going to have a rally. I was in junior high. Yet today, I feel like you, that there's something different. And maybe it has to do with the way that we have entered a generation of display videos that go farther so that when I tell you the stories that I grew up with, they only went as far as the person I could tell it to. We didn't yeah. have video to, to record them. And we knew yeah. these police officers, they would come back, you know, week after week because that was their area they patrolled. But I, I wonder if we can talk a little bit about what you have seen in previous examples of these moments of activism and maybe what you think of as different. First of all, everybody has their own frame of reference, their own um, history that informs them. Mine is, you know, growing up in predominantly white spaces, being a military dependent and growing up on bases across this country and abroad. So my view of life, particularly in America, is really informed by those experiences, those communities, those, um, you know, the cultures that I was surrounded by that made me who I am and really uh, influences the lens by which I view life. 
and particularly this moment in life. And I think it's important to understand, or I believe we're just rats in a maze. I mean, there's a very small percentage of people in this country that own the wealth, whether it's institutions or, you know, law enforcement. Their existence is really to keep us in our place. Uh, the internal conflict, the racial issues that have plagued this country, those are in place to control us, to help those with the money maintain their status. Now, that's the real picture of America. So, these increments of change that I've seen in my life have come from the kind of revolution we see today. And yes, is it overnight? No. You can look back in history, civil rights. You know, during most of the protests, I was living in France, being brought up, you know, in a country that valued who I was, even though I was an American. They knew what it was like for people that looked like me in this country. So my childhood was idyllic. I felt free. I didn't know that what being black meant was to be oppressed until I returned to this country. And it took me most of my life to really understand why I was being treated differently. I took it as a personal affront. And it only until I was a young adult uh, teaching young children about ethnic studies that I began to really learn my own history, the history of my people, the people I represent, the people that were, you know, dragged over here in chains. And when I really delved into a history that I stand in today and have a full understanding of what it means to be black, I understand the fear of those few people that have all the money that control us. They don't want us to know our history. They don't want us to work together to have a revolution to make change for all. They're frightened by that. So the first line of defense for them, I believe, is law enforcement. But that's a distraction. We can change and reform policy if we continue to revolt. We see it today. Now, will that be the catalyst? I don't know. We'll see when these people go on trial what happens. Will it be like the officers arrested for the beating of Rodney King? We don't know yet. But I believe and I'm hopeful that we will see justice. So I'm in a different generation. I'm, you know, a baby boomer. So I know what it is to be sort of weighed down by the anger 
and the wanting to focus and be angry about the negative aspect of where we are. But we've got to look beyond that. We really do. And we can sit around and we can write about it. We have a ton of scholars who now have new material and new books to write. And you you can articulate it to let others know how well thought out your assessment is. But we don't need that right now. We need to stay with the revolution and support the revolution. And we need to be hopeful that they are not protesting in vain. This is not the time to throw up our own roadblocks in our minds our own emotional roadblocks, our own uh, ability to articulate the possibility of this not working yet again. We've got to abandon that for the moment. It is good to be intelligent and articulate and to have a frame of reference for the past, but this is another generation. They're forging ahead. They're attacking the war that's on us against all of us. And we owe them to let go of our rhetoric and join them. Join them. That's the hope. That's the belief that a better day is coming. So, you know, I guess I'm more... hmm, I view things through a different lens, a lens that is hopeful, a lens that knows what it is to be brought up in community, in a diverse, inclusive community, framed by the military. You know, those communities didn't just happen. Those communities that I grew up was very calculated by the government. They know that civilians lived in another kind of existence, another kind of community that was not diverse, that was not inclusive. They know what they're doing. I know that. I've lived it. So the only way to make the change is through protest so that we're all educated, so that we all see, so that we all buy in, and we all keep going. And that's how we change the institutions, to let them know that the days of oppression will end. We demand police reform, and we won't stop until we get it. Now, the mere fact that this man that's in the White House had to put up another fence? You know, the symbolism of barriers not being enough. Fences have gone up. We don't know what he's going to put up next. That tells you it's working. That tells you they're afraid now. I mean, how much more do we need? we can see they're responding in fear. So we've got to continue. There's something that you mentioned, which is this interesting assessment 
when we think about observing you know what's going on and internalizing it in our respective homes uh, we find ourselves in a very unique time because during COVID-19 as a response the nation and the globe uh, went into this quarantine shutdown social distance period that created a, a sentiment not just a sentiment an actual isolation we were away from one another and yet at this moment we see people risking getting COVID-19 and potentially yeah. themselves because it is that important that they demonstrate their objection to what they saw but more than that they advocate for a future that they want to build that we want to build I think there are very few of us really looking at this moment and saying oh I wish it they would stop and everything would go just how it was before but there's something that is also quite interesting about this conversation in terms of the spectator aspect is that it creates this uh, sense that a lot of us have our respective opinions of what's going on. But one of the moments that I've been struggling with is this sense of creating a binary or dichotomy of like, this is the right way and this is the wrong way of creating change. And I heard you say something that I want to highlight. Uh, you mentioned this reflection or an assessment where you see something happening that is different something that is outside of what should be assessed or repackaged and should be respected on its own terms because it is something that is being built and growing and is moving forward on its own. And, and maybe that's what is unique. I posed this question earlier about me reflecting about what I've seen in the past, where I've been before and what I see now. And there's been this talk about trying to emulate or model past social movements. Someone saying, we need to have a central figurehead to take the lead. Others saying, I don't think that's what we want. Uh, we have enough people here that they themselves are strong. They don't need anyone to lead them. And others, alternative models of how this moment should unravel. But I want to highlight something that you said, which was the sense of assessing that this generation is on its track. It's, it has its own movement. It has its own uh, ideology, its own strategy. And at the same time, also creates an opportunity where some of us are limited or have to be careful of how we participate so that we do not create the semblance of trying to translate what should be right or what is wrong and okay. instead maybe create a semblance of solidarity. And as you mentioned, we join. And, and I find that unique. I just want to kind of highlight something that I heard that I, I've been, I wasn't able to articulate it before until you said it. Well, I think that you've uh, done very well by articulating it. It's the solidarity. I mean, that's the fear. That's why the additional walls have gone up around the White House because that is what they're afraid of. So you have all kinds of people protesting. I mean, I saw this darling young mother, blonde hair, blue eyed, with her little girl 
I mean, she couldn't have been more than five holding up a sign that said Black Lives Matter. I mean, I thought, my goodness, what the heck are they doing there? Because she wanted her child to see and to be a part of this change that they feel that uh, they will make by protesting. I mean, that's what solidarity looks like today. And yes, another point you made is about leadership. And I've bemoaned the fact that uh, particularly blacks in America did not have a voice, a single voice. And what I've realized in the last 10 days that, man, thanks to the Internet, we have many voices that make up one message, and that is a fight for equality. So our leadership will look different. We're in different times. It's a different generation. And what I was looking for, that one leader, that one Martin Luther King or Obama-esque figurehead, that's for days gone past, perhaps. And perhaps the leadership that I'm so impressed with, these young people speaking at these protests from all over the country, really the world, well, you know, that's what leadership looks like today. So moving forward, it may not be one person. It may be people, a group of people or people from a movement or people from all over the world. But the leadership comes through the Internet. Thank God for technology. So there will be many leaders that will lead the fight, which may continue for generations. But I do believe that we'll see movement and change will come. I do believe that. They are not out there. I don't believe there's a universe or a God that would have those young people out there for nothing. That's my personal faith. They are symbolic of a movement toward change that we will all benefit from once we're released from our homes. COVID is is just it's just so interesting how we in our lives are navigating toward a better world in the midst of a pandemic. How can you not be hopeful? Denise, I want to thank you for sharing this conversation with us today. I hope there's something that uh, is shareable. Those are my thoughts. I am hopeful. Still scared. Still wearing a mask. (laughs) But these young people have given me hope. You've just finished hearing a conversation with educator Denise Spencer. We shared our respective responses to the current moment where communities all over the United States are risking their well-being by protesting the killing of George Floyd, a Minneapolis police officer 
Derek Chauvin. The death of George Perry Floyd Jr. has reached the hearts, minds, and souls of people, propelling them to take a stand, to take a stand against the history of anti-blackness in the United States. And though many of our hearts are filled with sorrow and rage, disappointment, injury, one of the things I take away from this conversation is Denise's position of optimism and hope. There's encouragement in all of the beautiful energy that is being manifested. I hope you found this conversation of interest and value and take it to your respective circles to continue. Please feel free to send me your thoughts, questions, or any feedback you may have to the following email. Comments at thereport.org. You can also check out our webpage, thereport.org, to review past segments. I thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Danielle and the Deer Report here on KUCR 88.3 FM. Stay safe, stay strong. Join us again next week.